Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Hey, I want to talk to you about something today that initially, for some of you, you might think, well, what difference does this make? Is this just a theoretical concept? Like, how does this really affect my life? And, but what I wanna to talk to you about today, it rightly understood will actually change the way in which you look at every single thing in life. I wanna to talk to you today about what's called the image of God, or sometimes in Latin, it's referred to as the Imago Dei. If you have your Bibles, go over to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one and verse 24 says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. That's the third time it says it in this passage. It says, in, in our image, in our likeness, and again, we see in his own image, in the image of God, he created them four times. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What is this whole image of God thing mean? It means a bunch of things. When we really understand what it means, it will change how you look at God. And when you, when you really understand what it means, what you'll recognize is that God has given us this amazing gift out of his kindness, creating us in his image. And, and it means a bunch of different things, more than we can fully unpack today, but it definitely means a few things. One, it speaks to our capacity to have a relationship with God. It, it speaks that he created us to have a relationship with him. It, it speaks of, of the fact that he created us to, to live forever. It speaks of, of that. So we're created to live forever in right relationship with God. It also definitely speaks of the fact that, that and it's unpacked here in the passage, this is the most clearly defined piece that it means, is that it, God has sort of created us to be his vice regents on Earth. Well, what is a vice regent? Well, the word regent really comes from the, the word that we would think of as reign, right? So a, a vice regent uh, is defined, the definition of that is a, a person who acts in the place of a ruler, a governor, or a sovereign. And so it's as if God has created us as his representatives on earth, representing him to, to care and steward and be over the rest of creation. We're sort of his representatives on earth, these vice regions. Really fundamentally, when we think about what does it mean to made in the image of God, it speaks that we have this capacity to reflect the character and glory of God. It means that while we are definitely not God, we are these reflections of God or, or images or copies of, small copies of God. It means that there's something inside of us, every person, that is an expression of who God is. Now, for some of you, this is hard for, you're like, oh, I... I, I can't even wrap my head around that. That seems uh, beyond belief. And some of you, this just confirms everything you've ever thought of yourself. Let me show you a little comic strip. It says on your resume that you were created in God's image. 
Very impressive. <laughs> now, incredible kindness of God to make us to be like him. Now, unfortunately, so we see in the creation narrative is then just quickly uh, followed by the, the, the narrative of the fall where, where our first parents, given free will, willfully chose to live life on their own terms, do their own thing. Sin enters into the world. And so at, at that point, uh, sin comes in the world and this image of God in us is now mixed with sin. We, uh, there's, it's definitely, definitely still exists, but we no longer reflect this image of God as brightly as we were created to. It's definitely still there. We see the image of God reaffirmed after mankind's most sinful moment. And we see after Noah, this, the image of God is yet reaffirmed. And so when I really understand the image of God, it's gonna change how I see him, this incredible kindness that he would create us in his image. But it also changes how I view my own life. I begin to see my own life differently. I begin to see my own life as this great gift on loan from God to be given back to him. We see in Matthew chapter 22, says this, then the Pharisees, so these Jewish religious leaders, went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. The, we see these Jewish religious leaders were always looking for a chance to trap Jesus. They would always try, they would always fail. They tried to trap Jesus, ended up trapping themselves every time. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. How many of you know this? The enemy of your enemy is your friend. And so the fact is, the Jews absolutely despised the Herodians. The Jews, their, their big end game was to overthrow the, the Roman Empire. And so that's what they were all about. That's the Messiah they were looking for. But these Herodians were loyal to the Roman Empire. But, but what happens is they both had this common enemy. They both hated Jesus. And so we see they, they go to Jesus and they say, teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention. This is like when your kids come to you and are just like, dad, you're such a great dad. You may be the best dad that ever lived. And I'm just so grateful for all of your goodness to me. Can I have $100? This is that moment where, where they're just buttering up Jesus before they go for the trick. But Jesus is not caught off guard. He says, uh, he says they, they say, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not. So they ask him this trick question. If Jesus had said yes, then these Jews, who, whose number one goal was to overthrow the Roman Empire, would have seen Jesus as a traitor. But had he said yes, if confusing myself. If Jesus had said yes, then these Jews would have seen him as a traitor. If he'd have said no, then those who were loyal to the Roman Empire would have seen him as a traitor. It was a no-win question. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the taxes Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, day's wages, and he asked them, whose image is this? Now on our money, we have images of dead people on there. But other countries in the UK, that there's an image of Queen Elizabeth on, on the money there. And that same idea here. Uh, it was an image of the, the ruling Caesar. He says, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. 
Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. He's saying Caesar's image is on that money, so feel free to give that money to him. And to God, what is God's? Now, what Jesus was referring to and what everybody there would have known he was referring to is this early passage in Genesis that's saying that the, just as that image of Caesar's on that money, the image of God is on you. And so he says, so give to Caesar what Caesar, give that money to Caesar, but give your life to God because his image is on you. So when I understand that I'm made in the image of God, it really changes how I look at myself. I recognize that my life is this great gift from God to be stewarded and given back to him. But it also means this. It also means that in the moments in your life, that no matter how you feel about yourself, in moments where, where you feel better than you've ever felt, in moments where you feel worse than you've ever felt, and it doesn't really matter what other people say about you, if people are saying great things about you or terrible things about you, it means that no matter how you feel or what other people say, that your life is immensely valuable, immeasurably valuable. Why? Because you were created in the image of God, his likeness is in you, and therefore you have immense worth. Here's the third thing. It changes how I see God. He's been incredibly kind to us, making us in his image. It changes how I see myself. My life's immeasurably valuable. It's been this gift from God to be stewarded and given back to him. But it also changes how I view every person. Philosophical question for you. Um, suppose you think it's okay to, to kill Bambi and eat it. I'm not gonna do a show of hands. I'm just gonna go with, for argument's sake, you think it's okay. So, so why is it that it's not illegal to kill Bambi and eat Bambi, but if you were to kill your neighbor and eat them, well, that feels bad. You're going to jail, and it's gonna be on the news. Well, because well, here's the thing. You could, make, you could make the argument, well, Bambi's cuter than my neighbor, Bambi's never really irritated me, but my neighbor really has. It feels like all of the arguments would say, kill your neighbor and eat them. Why is it wrong? What the Bible tells us. Why is murder wrong? Genesis 9:6. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. Why? What's the reason? For in the image of God has made mankind. For the image of God, God has made mankind. The, the fundamental reason that, that murder is wrong, the fundamental reason is that li every single human life is sacred, worthy of honor, care, dignity, and protection is because every human is created in the image of God. It's why every life is valuable, priceless, immeasurably worth. It's, it's why life is sacred, worthy of honor, care, dignity, and protection. You may not know this, but really the whole concept of human rights was birthed out of a worldview that affirmed this idea of the Imago Dei, the image of God. That, that's, how, that, that, that's just a statement of history. We see this in our own Declaration of Independence. Now, Thomas Jefferson definitely did not live out a, a, a this understanding of the Imago Dei as much as we wish he did, but listen to what his words in the Declaration of Independence. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. It's just obvious to all of us. We know this innately, he's saying, that all men are created equal, 
that they are endowed by their creator. Our own declaration of independence is, is, is framed in a worldview where people understood that we're created in the image of God. And because of that, we have these inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. He goes, he's, he's appealing to the image of God. We see in and, and, and legal arguments throughout history in, in the Dred Scott decision, 1857, Dred Scott versus Sanford, this black slave was trying to sue the U.S. government, and he'd been told that because he was not viewed as a whole person, he was, only, he was not allowed to sue the U.S. government. He made it all the way to the Supreme Court, and, and we see at the Supreme Court, he, the, the decision goes against him where, where he's not given the full rights of a, of a whole person, and but in the dissent, in every Supreme Court case that's not unanimous, there's a dissenting argument. And in that dissent, we see John McLean says this. He says, in this case, a majority of the court have said that a slave may be taken by his master in a territory of the United States, the same as a horse or any other kind of property. And then he goes on a little bit later and says, a slave is not a mere chattel. He bears the impress of his maker. He says that slave's made in the image of God and is amenable to the laws of God and man. He is destined to an endless existence. Even enemies of Christianity, Frederick Nietzsche, who, who by no means was a Christian, his most famous statement that most of us could say is that God is dead. Even he understood that, that the whole idea of these, these concepts that all men are created equal and that idea that human life is precious, that these are Christian ideas rooted in the image of God. So here's the thing. And I want to challenge you for a minute. I want to challenge you for the next few minutes to love the Lord your God with your mind. I'm going to ask you to think a little bit harder than you were planning on. Some of y'all are like, already have. The thing is, in a, in a, in a secularistic worldview, that, that without the concept of the image of God, rights end up being based in capacities and the ability to express rationality. Uh, Peter Singer uh, is a professor of bioethics at Princeton, and he's he's a he's a atheist, he's a materialist, humanist, and, and he but he is intellectually honest about what all of this means, these implications. He prefers the idea of rationality and consciousness as the standard for granting rights to creatures. And after defining rights this way, he goes on to say this. He says, my, my colleague Helga Cousy and, and I suggest that a period, get this, of 28 days after birth might be allowed before an infant is accepted as having the same right to life as others. I want to make clear two things. One, I fundamentally disagree on the merits of, of saying that a person's not a human until they're over 28 days and shouldn't have any rights. Shouldn't do that at all. If we're going to extend out that period of not being human and no rights, let's extend it longer to 16 years old. That is my other theory. Um, <laughs> he says this. He said he argues that even pigs, chickens, and fish have more signs of consciousness and rationality and consequently a greater claim to rights than do fetuses. Get this 
than do fetuses, newborn infants, and people with mental disabilities. Goes on to say, rats are indispensably are indisputably more aware of their surroundings and more able to respond in purposeful and complex ways to things that they like or dislike than a fetus at 10 or even 32 weeks gestation. The calf, the pig, and the much derided chicken come out well ahead of the fetus at any stage of pregnancy. But you have to understand this. Had had Western civilization not been rooted in this worldview of, of the image of God, again, it's been a process uh, and, and fleshing that out and it's not been done perfectly or quickly enough. But, but if Western civilization wasn't rooted in that understanding of the image of God, if it was rooted in the understanding that rights comes with capacities and rationality and all of these other things, well, likely slavery would have gone much longer. William Wilberforce in England, which abolished slavery before the US, the, the, the great argument was, Slaves aren't created in the image of God. We, we can't continue to treat them this way. Abraham Lincoln said this. Lincoln and it was quoted in this book by Elton Trueblood, Abraham Lincoln, Lessons in Spiritual Leadership, said this. Over and over and over, Lincoln said this question to himself. He said, it's not what a man's particular abilities may be, but what his rights are as a human being made in God's image. See, if we don't understand this idea of the image of God, which changes how we see God, how we see ourselves, how we see every single person, without the idea of the Imago Dei, the, all human rights are, are now a moving target based on, on, on someone's argument or preference. Tim Keller says this. He says, do you see the conundrum in the secular society, all of the therapists will tell you, oh, you're so valuable. You have such dignity and worth. You're a valuable human being. By the way, you know why your therapist tells you that? Because you're giving them $180. That's why. <laughs> Just kidding. He says, oh, you're so, your therapist tells you you have such dignity and worth, yet the philosophy of secularism has no basis for that at all. If at the end of the day, there's no image of God, if at, if at the end of the day, there's just naturalistic materialism or all this, this giant accident, then it's fundamentally impossible to rationally argue that your life is any more valuable or special than the goldfish in the bowl on your bookshelf. G.K. Chesterton, the great English writer and philosopher said this. He says, as a politician, the secular person will cry out that all war is a waste of life and then as a philosopher, admit that all of life is a waste of time. The secular person goes first to a political meeting where he complains the natives are being treated as if they were beasts. Then he goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that all of human beings actually are beasts. See, it's this image of God that is absolutely fundamental to our worldview, how we see God, how we, we see ourselves, how we see others. It affects how you treat every single person in your life. See, the image of God affects how we view and treat the elderly. The image of God affects how we, how we view and treat those with reduced mental ability. The image of God affects how we view and treat the poor. 
The, the image of God affects how we view and treat the orphan. Why, why did we, last night, Life Church partnered with a couple other churches. We, we put on the, the, the largest, in partnership with the county, the, the largest appreciation event for, for foster parents that Washoe County's ever seen. There was a couple hundred foster parents there. There was about 80 kids being cared for, um, for of those um, of those, those foster parents, a lot of you volunteered there. Why do we do stuff like that? It's because we believe that every one of those children, every, every foster child, every orphan in the world, that they are created in the image of God and that their life's immensely valuable. That's how, it changes how we see the poor. We fundamentally believe that, that, that the life of Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest man in the world, depending on the day, and the poorest homeless person you've ever seen, that their lives are of equal dignity and, and, and value and worth. Why? Because, not because of how much they have or what they've achieved, but because they are created in the image of Almighty God. It changes how we see everybody. It affects how we view and treat the immigrant. It affects how we view and treat other races. The civil rights movement was a bunch of African-American pastors appealing to the image of God. And, and, and that was the, the, the birth of the whole civil rights movement. It affects how we see other races. It, it affects how we, how we treat and, and seek to rescue those that, that are held captive in sex trafficking. It, 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 honestly, it affects how we consider our own engagement in pornography. So whenever you engage in pornography, you're, what you're seeing is you're, you're looking at a person not as an image bearer of God, but as a commodity to, to fulfill some urge in you. They're just there to be used. And, and, but instead, if you, if you see those people as, as these are people that are created in the image of God, that has a soul that's gonna last forever, created for relationship with him as a vice regent, his representative on the earth, these image bearers, it changes all of that. It affects how we view and treat People in other countries. That's why uh, a number of weeks ago when our brothers and sisters in Ukraine began to experience incredible difficulty, people that, we've ne that likely will never meet and never know in this life, we said those people are suffering and, and they are image bearers. And so we, we can't do everything, but we can do something. At the very least, we can send a bunch of money to try to, try to help. Why do we care? It's because they are image bearers. It affects how we treat the unborn. Last 50, 50 years, 63 uh, million babies lost their life before they were born. 70 million, uh, 73 million globally on an annual basis. See, the early church was birthed in a, a Greco-Roman context with no concept of the image of God. And so poor people were treated as, as worthless and sick people and old people were just left, not cared for well, left to die. And infanticide and abortion were, were very common and it was not, not uncommon for a baby girl to be born when they, the family, the dad really wanted a baby boy and that little girl was just left to die. There was this, it was a culture that had no real respect underlying concept of life being sacred and that each life 
life is of equal value and each life deserves dignity and care and respect. And, but this, these early Christians, because they had this fundamental belief that, that, that the, every single one of these people, the poor, created in the image of God. And so they began caring for them. And the sick and the elderly created in the image of God. When other people would flee the sick, they, out of self-preservation, they would come in and care for the sick. And they would care. That's why you see all across the world, hospitals founded by Christians because there was this understanding of, of, of every single person has inherent worth and value because they, they bear the empress of their creator. They're created in the image of God. So we care. And so that this, this whole idea. And, and so what happened is they would go to people and say, hey, if you don't want that baby, we'll take care of that baby. You don't need to kill that baby. We'll help. We want to care. And so they began caring for orphans and widows when, when it was totally countercultural because there wasn't in the culture then, just like the culture now, there wasn't this underlying understanding of the image of God. See, what we're talking about is, is this idea of a pro-life ethic that goes from the womb to the tomb. Have you ever gotten mad when you saw someone treat the American flag poorly? Have you seen someone like drag a flag or someone going over the top like they're going to burn the American flag? And there's something in you that wants to open up a can on them, right? Yes, proud to be an American. At least I know I'm free. Gladly stand up. All right, so um, now intuitively we know that is cotton and dye. That is just colored material. But because we know that it is colored material that represents something that is near and dear to our heart, there's this, there's this rage inside of it, not because colored material has suffered this injustice, but because in desecrating the flag, what they're doing is they're attacking this country, this thing that we hold dear. And so we respond with this response, like, that's not okay. I like how Pastor James McDonald talks about it. He says, to disrespect a person made in the image and likeness of God is a lot worse than desecrating a flag. Now, I want you to know this. For a minute, think about the person that you know that you disagree with the most. Maybe you disagree with their politics or their worldview. Maybe they are just supremely irritating. And then just ponder, they are an image bearer. They carry the likeness of God in themselves. He says, a disrespected person made the image of, and likeness of God is a lot worse than desecrating a flag. We too should be offended and repulsed in the same way when God's image bearers are desecrated, abused, beaten, neglected, discriminated against, and not loved and taken care of as they should be. As Christians, I believe we have a threefold responsibility. I would argue in this order that we have a responsibility as individuals and in our families to live out a pro-life ethic, womb to the tomb. Listen, don't say you're pro-life if you don't care for the poor. And, and don't say you're pro-life if you're a racist. And don't say you're pro-life if you're watching lots of pornography. 
You can be anti-abortion, which is a great place to start being pro-life, but a terrible place to stop being pro-life. One person cares, good. Um, live out a pro-life ethic, womb to the tomb, individually and in our families. And then as a church, we have a responsibility to live out a pro-life ethic, womb to the tomb, together as a church family. As a church, one of our fundamental convictions is that we do this because we believe that people matter to God. They're created in his image, created to live forever somewhere, created to have a relationship with him, that his vice regents on the earth, his representatives on the earth. And so people matter to God. And we believe that's the case. All people matter to God, rich and poor, born and unborn, near and far. We believe that red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Third, we have a responsibility as Christians to do our part to advocate for the sanctity of human life, womb to the tomb, as a part of a, the representative democracy that, that we live in. And so that, that includes voting and taking part in the political process and lobbying our representatives. But from this, from this deep conviction that every life is sacred and, and worthy of care and respect and honor because we carry the image of God. Here's the last thing and we're done. It changes how I view the gospel. See, a primary purpose of the gospel is to fully restore the Imago Dei. So we're created in the image of God to, to reflect the glory of God. And then sin comes in the world, and while we still reflect his image, we don't reflect it the way we were created to, as brightly as we were created to. And But, but part of God's plan and his story of the gospel, that, that Jesus came, died in our place, rose from the dead, so that as, as, as we trust in the gospel, give God the steering wheel of our life, that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and begins this process, fancy word, sanctification, of just making us more like Jesus. But I, And I think we understand that many of us do, but understanding that that process of making us more like Jesus, that the end game is fully restoring the Imago Dei, the image of God, to the way it was before sin entered. Let me show this to you. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We see it over and over again. It says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's this Imago Dei language. They, they would have understood that. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Ephesians 4.28, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.1, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. And so part of the primary purpose of the gospel, as we trust in the gospel, give Jesus the steering wheel of our life and trust in his death and resurrection, that the Holy Spirit is in this process of, of making us more like God, that, that, that restoring that imago day up into that moment when, when we're with him and we're like him and our faith becomes sight and we're no longer looking in a mirror dimly, but now we're seeing face to face and we're with him and like him in that original imago day. That reflection that, that we were, were created to reflect, we now reflect it in all of its glory. Why don't we pray together? 
See, as we understand this whole idea of the Imago Dei, the image of God, it really changes every single thing in our life. It changes how, how we see God, his incredible kindness creating us in his image. It affects how we look at our own life. No matter how we feel, it's incredibly sacred and valuable. It's this great gift that we've been given to steward and give back our, our life to God because we belong to him. We bear his image. It reflects how we look at every single person. And I just want to ask you are, are you, are you living your life in light of the image of God? Do you, do you, are you living life with gratitude for God making you in his image? Are you living life with this sense that your life's special and it matters, even when you don't think so and no one else might not think so, but it does? And are you living with a pro-life ethic, a womb to the tomb, pro-life ethic that sees every single person on the planet born and unborn, rich and poor, those that we know, those that we don't know and may never know, as image bearers, worthy of care and dignity. So Father, we thank you for creating us in your image. We thank you that even when our first parents chose to go their own way, that you didn't give up on us. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die in our place, rise from the dead, so that we could join, be a part of your family and that ultimately through your, the work of your spirit and ultimately when we're with you one day that that image will fully be restored in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.